our series through Romans 14. Like I said, we're just kind of going to going to kind of jump right into it here. Continue our series through. Uh, really, we've we walked through Romans 12 and 13 and 14 uh, into 15 next uh, month, Lord willing. Looking at our theme for the year of one another. And really, that's kind of what the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is giving the deep doctrines. He's tackling some some deep issues. And you get to Romans 12, and it becomes very practical. There's a shift from, from this is what is true to this is what it means. This is what it looks like. And it's amazing as you work through Romans 12 and 13 and 14 how much that has to do with one another. The truth, the doctrine affects how we treat one another. So now we come to Romans 14. There's a lot in here. We could spend a lot of time here. We're going to try and tackle it all tonight. So I hope you're not planning on getting to bed too early. At least football doesn't start until next week, so you don't. <laughs> now we're going to move quickly through this. Romans 14. Keep the main thing the main thing. See, the church in Rome was a diverse church because Rome was a diverse city. There were people from all over the known world that Rome had conquered who had gathered in Rome. It was a bustling city. Diverse. People from all backgrounds and beliefs and practices. People had grown up in all different kinds of environments. A diverse city makes for a diverse church with lots of differences of opinion. Really, any church is a diverse church. I think a lot of times we think of diversity, especially in today's day and age, we think of racial diversity. But the, really, the reality is that diversity deals with lots of things. It's not just what you look like, it's how you grew up. What you believe, what practices do you have? Not to get too controversial, but there's families here who celebrate Halloween and families who don't. Families who, who go on vacations in campers And families like mine, who I don't know the first thing about a camper, so we go in hotels. We have different experiences. We have different practices. There are are different things that we believe. And those things that we believe, we are convinced of. And that's a good thing. We shouldn't be. But the question is, how do you keep unity in a church with such diversity. I mean, there are some issues that we differ on, that we can be very passionate about. So how do you keep unity in a church of such diversity? The answer to that, as we see here in Romans 14, is to keep the main thing the main thing. You can have differences of opinions, but there is one thing that you can't have a difference of opinion on, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stay focused on that. Keep the main thing the main thing. 
really as you work your way through this chapter, there's just two points that I have. Diversity in makeup, verses 1 to 13, and then singular in focus, verse 14 to 23. First thing we see is diverse in makeup. This is a diverse church in a diverse city. And really, Paul's kind of taking these things that he's said in Romans 12 and 13, and he's really getting practical here in Romans 14. In Romans 12, he's told us, outdo one another in showing love. But what does that look like? What does it look like to outdo one another in showing love? This is what it looks like. Verse 1, receive, receive one who is weak in the faith. Receive one who is weak in the faith. The idea of receive is to fully accept without reservation or without restriction, to, to fully bring in. It's the idea of a, a church to bring into the church, into the body. Receive this one who is weak in faith. But now we have to stop and have a conversation. What does Paul mean by weak in the faith? What does Paul mean by weak in the faith? There's other passages where Paul uses this type of language, like 1 Corinthians 8, where he's dealing with the issue of meat offered to idols. And although the issue here in Romans 14 is, is obviously connected to that, I think it's different. It's more diverse than that, just that. There's, there's more going on. It's more complicated. I think there's a couple issues that it's important to bring out now as we work our way through this will help us to understand what Paul means by weak and how that ties into this passage. The first thing, when Paul uses the word weak, even though he's talking, as we read through this, about days that you differ on, that you practice, about food that you eat. It's not an issue like the Judaizers of Galatians. Right? In Galatians, you had these Judaizers who had come in, who were trying to lead the Christians astray, who were adding to their salvation, adding to their faith, saying, yes, it's, it's good that you believe that about Jesus, but... You also need to be circumcised. You also need to eat these foods. These are, in, are, are things that you need. In essence, what they're saying there is that Christ is not enough. They mixed law and gospel. And what we know here in, in Romans 14 is that the stance of these who are weak in the faith in no way threatens their faith in Christ alone. This is not an issue of law and gospel. Along those same lines, it's not an issue of legalism, where they believe that these things make them more holy or more acceptable to God or less holy if they don't do them. How do I know that? How do I know those, two, those first two things? That this isn't like the, the Judaizers of Galatians, that it's not an issue of legalism. I know that because of the way that Paul treats them and what he says about them. Paul speaks very gently and understandably of them. He never commands them to change or to grow out of it. 
This is not something that threatens their standing in Christ. This is not something that is dangerous or troubling. In fact, you'll note as you work through there that nowhere in this chapter is the weaker brother condemned for being weak. Nowhere in this chapter is he encouraged or commanded to change or to grow out of that weakness. I mean, Paul had apostolic authority. He could have very easily commanded them saying, guys, you're wrong. Change. In fact, we've seen in the Gospels where he does do that. In the the epistles where he does do that. We saw where he did that with Peter in Galatians. So this isn't an issue like that. Second, or thirdly, we see in verses 6 to 9 when we get there that their motives are godly. Their attitude is thankful. This is not bitterness. They are godly. They're doing it to the Lord. Their motive is godly. Their attitude is thankful. They are thankful for this. Fourth, their position is legitimate and acceptable in Paul's eyes. You see that in verses 14 to 16. When we get there in verses 14 to 16, this is a legitimate stance that is allowed in the church. It's acceptable. And fifth, in verse 14, we'll see that it's primarily an issue of conscience. He brings up the idea of being unclean. So it's tied to an issue of conscience. So when you take all of these things into mind, you kind of come to understand that weak is not necessarily a matter of spiritual maturity. It's not a matter of spiritual maturity. It's a matter of conscience. You can have someone who is very mature in the Lord and yet has a different opinion on eating or days than you. That does not mean that they are weaker than you, even though you're a seminary student who's, who's growing so much and you know everything. Yet this pastor who's been pastoring for 30 years, who has a different opinion on you, on what to eat or drink, you could look at this pastor and say, well, you're the weaker brother. It's not talking about spiritual maturity. It's a matter of conscience. In fact, you'll see as you work your way through there that that there's a lot of factors that play into this. And Paul's encouragement is to care for one another in this very practical way. So receive one who is weak in the faith. But not to dispute over doubtful things. Not to dispute over doubtful things. In verses 1 um, through 13, Paul kind of focuses on that idea. Not to dispute over doubtful things. And then as you get into verse 14 through the end of the chapter, then he changes focus. So, So don't dispute over doubtful things. Receive them, but not for the purpose of disputing. Doubtful things, things which, which brothers in Christ can legitimately disagree on. Don't receive them to dispute over that. He goes on to give examples. For one believes he may eat all things. 
But he who is weak eats only vegetables. Again, these are both legitimate stances. So let not him who eats despise. All right, so the one who, who is in his freedom in Christ eats, let him not look down on or feel superior to the one who doesn't eat. And on the other side of that, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. Let him not jump to conclusions. Let him not make assumptions about his brother in Christ. Why? For God has received him. Both are strong. Both the strong and the weak, as Paul is using it here, are accepted in Christ. He goes on in verse 4 to address the weaker brother. Who are you to judge another servant? To judge to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. It seems to focus on the weak brother, right? The, the weaker brother. Both of these two sides have different temptations as they look at one another, right? The stronger, as Paul is using it here in Romans 14, his temptation is to look down on the weaker. To assume that he is better, that I am further along in my Christian walk than you. I know more than you. I'm more committed than you. But on the other side, the one who is weaker, who looks to the one who practices this freedom that he has in Christ, his temptation is to question the salvation of his brother in Christ or his commitment to the Lord. Well, I'm more committed than you. Both of them really struggle with pride. They both look at each other and say, I'm better. And here Paul's dealing with uh, the one who looks the weaker brother. The one who would be tempted to, to call into question the commitment of his brother in Christ. And he says, indeed, he'll be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Don't... It's not your responsibility to worry about him. God will sustain and keep him just like God will keep you. That's the issue of foods. In verse 5, he brings up days. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. That's the key there. Fully convinced. Full confidence in uh, faith and practice. I am fully convinced that this is the right thing to do. In fact, in verses 6 to 7, he who observes the day, he observes it to the Lord. He has the right motive. His desire is to glorify God in observing this day. And yet, the same is true of the weaker brother. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. Just like his brother who chooses to observe the day, this man chooses not to observe the day, and his desire in doing that is to glorify God. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He rejoices in the good gifts that God has given. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. Again, they have the same motive. He rejoices in what God has given him. He rejoices in the opportunity he has to serve him. Both rejoice and thank the Lord. It's the same God that provides strength to abstain and good gifts to enjoy. 
In fact, you go on to verse 7. It talks about the fact that they are in Christ. They have the same motive because they have the same Lord. Even though they might have a different practice. Verse 7, for, for none of us lives to himself. And no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. It's very clear here that these two, both weak brother and strong brother, they're both in Christ. They're both believers. We're not talking about a believer and an unbeliever. If we, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Right? 1 Corinthians 6.20, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. They have the same goal. They have the same purpose. They are both secure in Christ and they are both living faithfully for Christ. Notice in here. Maybe it's just me, but I, whenever you hear about the weaker brother and the stronger, you, you tend to think right, that the stronger brother is just he's, he's more mature in Christ than the weaker brother. But in this passage, Paul is not looking down on either of them. He's not splitting them and saying, you need to get to where this guy is. They both have the same motives. They both have the same Lord. And they're both doing what they're doing to glorify God. And in verse 10, he calls them out. So then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you jump to conclusions about him? Why do you make assumptions about him? Or, why do you show contempt for your brother? That's a strong word. Hatred, extreme disdain. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And that's the key word there, of himself. This is the same reality we saw just a few weeks ago in John 21, 22. As we come to the end of John, you remember? Jesus is walking with Peter and John's behind him. And Jesus has told John, you're, you're going to die. You're going to serve me. You're going to live faithfully. And you're going to die for me. And Peter turns around and looks at John and says, well, what about him? And how does the Lord respond? It doesn't matter. In essence, that's none of your business, Peter. You follow me. You are responsible for you. You follow me. In essence, that's what Paul is saying here. You follow me. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. All right, Paul has shown that we should not judge one another. We should not look down on one another. So, don't do it. Instead of judging, resolve this. Make this resolution. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Receive your brother. And in receiving him, do not hinder your brother in the Lord. Do not put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. Diverse in makeup. Many different opinions, many different practices. And yet, even as we've already begun to see, single in focus. Verse 14, I know 
and am con convinced by the Lord Jesus. Right? So Paul here is not just talking his own opinion. He's speaking from the authority as an apostle from God himself, from Christ himself. I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Specifically, this is tied to the idea of food and drink. Here, Paul makes the case that he, he agrees with the stronger brother. He's not wrong in what, he do, in what he's doing. He's not out of bounds. But, to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So, it in and of itself is not unclean, but if you consider it to be unclean, then it's unclean. It's a matter of personal conscience. This thing itself, there's nothing wrong with it, but for you, it could be sin. So the first thing he says here in, in verse 14 is, check your conscience. But secondly, yet... All right, so even if you check your conscience and, okay, this thing does not bother me. This is not a problem at all for me. I have no reservations. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. If your brother is grieved because of food, you are no longer walking in love. So don't just check your conscience. Check your surroundings. Your conscience might have nothing wrong with this, but someone else around you might. I read an uh, illustration in one of the commentaries. I think it was H.A. Ironside who gave this, told this story. Um, one time, a brother in Christ who'd been saved out of Islam came to, to a meal together. They sat down to a meal together and there was pork that was served. And this man did not eat of that pork. And so then Mr. Ironside said, well, he kind of rebuked him a little bit and said, you know, I know that's what, what you used to believe, but that, in Christ you're free to eat this. And the man said, yes, I know I am. But I have a dad back home. And that dad is a committed Muslim. And if I were to go home, I walk up to the front door, first thing he's going to ask me is, has pork passed through your lips? And if I say yes, he shuts that door. If I say no, he lets me in and I can share the gospel with him. I think it's a beautiful idea, of, uh, illustration of what we have going on here. There are things that are more important than your right to do what you feel you have a right to do. Check your conscience. Be honest with yourself, but also check your surroundings. And I love the way Paul puts it here. It's very, almost shocking, powerful, and convicting. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Think about that. By demanding your right, you could destroy the faith of a brother or sister in Christ. Someone for whom Christ died. You could throw it all away for food or drink. In fact, he goes on, therefore do not let your good be spoken of, be spoken of as evil. Why? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there is more at stake than your rights. 
Keep the main thing the main thing. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, verse 19. Really, in verse 19 here, we're kind of returning all the way back to the idea from verse 1. Right? Receive. Receive the one who is weak. Why? Not, what, what do you not do? You receive him not to argue with him. So what do you receive him for? Well, that's, Paul kind of returns to that here in verse 19. Therefore, receive him. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. As you receive the weaker brother, do it in pursuit of peace and edification. Receive the weaker brother to build him up. At the end of verse 13, resolve to do this, not to get in his way, to lead him astray. Now in verse 19, build him up. Verses 20 to, 20 to 21, Paul kind of goes back over what he said in verses 14 to 18. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Another powerful statement. God is at work. Don't destroy it for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure. Harkening back to verse 14. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Check your conscience. Verse 21 harkens back to verse 15. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Faith, the idea of full confidence. Check your conscience. Be honest with yourself, but also check your surroundings. Because there is more that is at stake here than just your right. In fact, as you come to the end of this passage, Romans 14 is not about your right. Romans 14 is about your brother or your sister in Christ. It's about an opportunity that you have in Christ to minister to him or her. The focus here is not on what you can't do. Oh, I guess I can't do that. The focus is on what you can do for the sake of love and truth. It's a call to set aside your rights and to embrace your brother in the Lord. It's a call to focus on the gospel and to keep the main thing the main thing. Do not, for the sake of food, or drink, or anything else, destroy the one for whom Christ died. It's a powerful statement. That really helps to put it all into perspective. There's more at stake here than your rights. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the unity of the church. So how do you keep unity in a church of such diversity, with such different backgrounds and experiences? You keep unity in a church of such diversity by keeping your eyes on Christ. 
by keeping the gospel central to everything you are doing, by keeping the main thing, the main thing. So by way of application, very quick fly through of Romans 14. What can I do this week? How does this apply to me? I think the first thing is reconcile. If there is someone, maybe that the Lord has brought to mind as we've been working our way through this passage where, where you think, man, I, I have been looking. Maybe that person doesn't even know, but I have been looking down on that person or I have been judging that person. Maybe you've actually gone to them and you've said something. Maybe you've confronted them about something. And there's been a rift in that relationship. The first step is to reconcile. To go to them and to apologize. I, I am sorry. I, I may not agree with you on this thing. But I was wrong. I let my eyes get taken off of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was focusing on things that, that, that aren't that big of a deal. I rejoice in the opportunity to walk beside you, a brother in Christ that I may not agree with, but that I have the same hope as in Christ alone. I rejoice in the opportunity to, to walk beside you, to edify you, and to be edified by you. Reconcile. Secondly, be committed to pursuing peace and edification. Not to argue, but to pursue peace and edification. Be committed to that. And then finally, to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord who's made us one. Even from our diverse backgrounds. Even from all the things from a worldly perspective that should divide us. We have hope in Christ. We have the same hope, same Lord, same baptism. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in what the Lord has done. Even as you look around at this body and you marvel at the people that God has brought together. The church is a miracle. It is an amazing thing. It is God's doing. It is Christ's church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Marvel at what God is doing and rejoice in the Lord. We have the privilege here as we close our service to have communion. And really, it's a beautiful picture of the very thing that we've just talked about. As we come to this table, we are coming as a diverse body. And yet, as we come as a diverse body to this table, we are coming to celebrate one Lord, one hope in Christ. We say every week or every month as we do this, you don't have to be a member of Altoona Regular Baptist Church to join us at this table. But you do have to have that same hope. You have to be a baptized believer in Jesus Christ. Baptized by immersion. Obedient in that. Your faith in Christ alone for salvation. And then we invite you to come. Come to this table. With our broken and diverse body, come and rejoice in the Lord at this table. We're going to sing a song as we transition, and then we'll jump into uh, communion.